Welcome back to Kicking It with the Texas Chancla. I am the Texas Chancla, attorney Jesse Hernandez. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we are continuing our one-on-one because it's just me and you, baby. So we're going to start where we kind of left off, and that's the journey from Jesse Hernandez to becoming the Texas Chancla, and it's a long journey. So tune in, get some popcorn, kick your feet up, and let's get started. So after law school, I moved down to Laredo. I, um, I thought I was going to work at an insurance defense firm. Um, I interviewed with them when I was in law school, moved down there, accepted a job, and I didn't really like it. And I'll be honest with you, it was because the firm I was working at was a very good law firm. They're very nice people, very good people, but the type of cases they did didn't sit right with me. Um, one of the cases that I was working on when I was a clerk there was an 18-wheeler, um, was our client and the 18 wheeler had run over, collided with in some manner or means, uh, with the car that had this little old lady in it, she died. And my job as the attorney for the insurance defense company was to make sure that that little old lady and her family, uh, recovered nothing or as little as possible, because that's your job when your client is the insurance company, right? Is to do what's in your client's best interest. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and you know, I, I don't remember anything about the facts of the case. I don't remember if we were at fault, if we weren't at fault, but whether we were or we weren't to me, that wasn't what mama H said, right? That wasn't what my mom said. She didn't say go fight for the strong guy against the little guy and make sure you kick the crap out of him so that he doesn't get back up. She said, go fight for the person who needs you fight for the weak because you're strong. And in that scenario, the little old lady, the little old lady is the one who needed me, not the big insurance company. And I have nothing against people who work for insurance companies. Someone needs to do it. And it's good work. It's honest work. And it's work that that deserves to be done. I have nothing against them. But for who I am and what I believe, it didn't sit right with me. Um, And so... It just so happened that I jumped online that evening and I saw that the public defender's office in Webb County was hiring. I said, well, I don't know. I mean, that, that might be fun. And so I submitted my resume. I got a call pretty quickly. I went down there and interviewed and pretty much by the time I got home after that interview, um, the public defender's office had called and offered me a position. And it took me, five, 10, maybe 12 seconds to realize that that's what I wanted to do. And so I left insurance company, um, the insurance defense firm, and I went to the public defender's office and I met some amazing people at the public defender's office. Um, some folks were not amazing, but the vast majority of the people that were there were people who cared deeply about defending people who could not afford to hire an attorney who cared deeply about providing amazing criminal defense to people who were in a situation that needed it. And one of those people uh, was a good friend of mine, Joseph Moreno. Uh, I met him there and man, I immediately loved everything about this dude. He's kind of gruff, kind of a different dude, but he took being a criminal defense attorney seriously. He thought it meant something very, very impactful. And I shared those feelings with him. I shared that, yeah, this is to me and to Joseph, criminal defense isn't a job. It's a calling. And it's what we do with the skills that we've been given. And it matters. It matters that we're doing it and it matters to the people that we're doing it for. Um, And so Joseph and I hit it off very quickly We became very close friends because of our shared commitment and belief in criminal defense. Uh, We had two different styles of how we thought criminal defense should be um, handled. Uh, Joseph was very big on emotions practice, Um, not emotions, but motions, like a motion to suppress, a motion to compel, those types of motions. He thought that motions should be very important, and it's true, they should be. I thought, you know, eh, forget the motions, let's just try everything. And we kind of balanced each other out with that. And Joseph was not afraid of trials either. So 
um, we quickly became very close friends. And he's someone that to this day I have the utmost respect for as a criminal defense attorney. And I think he really helped to shape me. But one of the things that Joseph and I thought, and it was very naive of us at the time, is we thought that in order to be in order to become a private criminal defense attorney who makes money, we thought that all you had to do was become really good at criminal defense. We thought that the best lawyers out there, the lawyers out there that were getting all the cases, that were making all the money, um, we thought that they were just the best lawyers. And that's why everyone was out there hiring them. So as public defenders, Joseph and I made this agreement and we said, our clients cannot afford to hire any attorney. And that's why they get us. But let's make sure that every client that gets us gets a lawyer that would be worth $50,000 on their case. They get a $50,000 lawyer to defend them, even though they're getting us for free. We wanted to be that level. And back then, um, $50,000 was a pretty good price for a lawyer. Nowadays, like that's almost what some people are paying for DWIs. But back then, that was, woo, that was big money. Um, and so we wanted to be these $50,000 lawyers that people would get for free. And so we did everything we could to improve the way we practice, to be better, to work harder, to work smarter, to be amazing so that if one day we ever decided, hey, we're going to go out um, into private practice, that it would be lucrative for us, that we would have done our time as uh, community servants, you know, being a public defender that represents people who can't afford a lawyer. We would have done our time doing that and that, you know, later we could make money doing it. And so we thought all you have to do is be really, really good, right? And everyone's going to know that you're really good and they're going to, to come and hire you. And they'll be like, here, take my money, represent me, protect me. Thank you for doing this for me. Yeah, it doesn't really work that way. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Um, and over the years, uh, I have learned the hard way that the best cases do not always go to the best lawyers. You know, in fact, there are marketing groups out there. One of them I belong to, CRISP. Um, and they they have a saying that the best lawyers do not go to the best lawyers. Excuse me. The best cases do not go to the best lawyers. They go to the best marketers. Think about that. There are no stats. You can't like throw on lawyer ESPN and see that, you know, hey, this guy is the MVP of the courthouse this week. And, you know, he had this many dismissals out of this many opportunities. And uh, he had this many motions to suppress granted. And career-wise, he's got this many trials or she's got this many trials. Like there are no lawyer stats in Bear County. So how do you know that a lawyer is good at what they do? Right? If you're in the courthouse, maybe you know a judge, maybe you know a clerk, maybe you know a prosecutor or someone who's in the courtroom all the time. They can say like, hey, that guy or that girl, that woman, that man, they try lots of cases and they win them all the time. They are amazing at this. Go hire them. But most of us don't know that person. Most of us don't know who a lawyer is. So how do we end up picking one? If you were in San Antonio, how would you pick a PI attorney? You would know a couple of names, right? You'd know Jim Adler, the Texas Hammer, right? Because he's got commercials on all the time. And he's always telling you how much money he's made his clients. And there's Thomas J. Henry. Billions, right? He's got those billboards with billions and lots of hundreds of millions. You know his name. And there's a few others, right? You see their billboards. You see their commercials. They tell you that they're a good lawyer. They tell you about their wins. I don't know anything about those lawyers. I don't know anything about them. I don't know their losses. I don't know their wins. I don't know their ratios. And I'm in the legal field. So as a customer, as a consumer, what do you really know about the lawyers out there that you're choosing from? Maybe the best lawyer doesn't advertise on TV. Maybe the best lawyer doesn't have billboards and you're just hiring a lawyer because you saw a billboard, right? Here's the craziest thing that I had to realize 
if nobody knows who you are, how can they hire you? If nobody knows you exist, how can they come see you? Being a good lawyer, being a great lawyer, isn't enough to run a business. And I think that goes for anything. You can be the best carpenter, you can be the best plumber, you can be the best coder, you can be the best doctor, the best nurse. But if nobody knows that you're the best, what does it matter? There's some jerk in the break room telling everyone, I saved 55 lives today. And you know, he saved 55 lives because he almost killed 56 people. Like the only reason he saved lives is because he put that life in danger. And now he's out there bragging that he's a hero. Maybe it's the same way in the law. Maybe a lot of these people you see on TV aren't as good as they say they are. Maybe they're just telling you they're that good. Maybe the lawyer you go and see that says, I'm going to get your case dismissed and they're going to write you a letter of apology and you're going to get all of your money back. Maybe that lawyer isn't that good. They're just telling you that because they know that you can't verify it. You can't verify if this person has ever tried a case in their life. All you know is that you saw an ad that said San Antonio's best criminal defense lawyer. And it had a number. And you know what? You were actually looking for San Antonio's best criminal defense lawyer. So I'm going to call that guy because he says he's the best. But there's no way to verify it. And this was something that Joseph and I had a lot of trouble with because we just wanted to be good. We wanted to be a lawyer that when you had us, we would win. We would fight. We would do things for you that would just make your head spin at how hard we were working and how amazing we were. So we put all our time into learning how to be good lawyers and none of our time into how to be good advertisers. And so when eventually we thought we had done all we could do at the public defender's office and that we had reached a point where we were ready to move on, he went to the Valley with his wife's family. I came back to San Antonio and I hung out my shingle and I waited for the people to show up with cash and with checks and maybe credit cards. Like I was waiting, like I was already trying to pick out what color Mercedes I was going to get because I was like, I'm a really good lawyer. People are going to come hire me. And you know what didn't happen? People didn't come hire me because nobody knew who the hell I was and nobody knew what I could or couldn't do. And so I struggled for a long time. I opened up an office. I'd close my office and go work for someone. I open up my office, I close my office, I go work for someone. Because of all the things that you're taught in law school, the two most important things are not taught to you. You're not taught how to actually practice law. Like that's mind blowing. You go to law school three years and at most law schools, unless they have like a special program, You're not taught how to be a lawyer, how to do lawyer things. You're taught how to think like a lawyer, whatever the hell that means. Well, I know what that means. That means that you're able to analyze things. You're able to read the law. You're you're able to interpret the law. But you're not taught how to actually practice, how to go to court, how to file a motion, how to argue a motion. You're not taught those things. And the second thing you're not taught how to do is you're not taught how to run a law practice. You're not taught the business of law. So think about that. My entire life, I wanted to be a lawyer. I became a lawyer. And I went and I got a job and they taught me how to be a criminal defense lawyer at the Webb County Public Defender's Office. And I got really good at being a lawyer. And then I went out and I didn't know how to operate a law office. Because that's got nothing to do with law and everything to do with business. And you know what? I didn't go to business school. Again, math, right? Like, I am not good at math. I'm not getting into a business school. I'm not crunching numbers. I'm not running analytics or data or statistics. And honestly, I don't know the difference between the three of those things. I'm not doing any of that because I am a lawyer, not a businessman. But here I am with the business and the business is law. I'm not selling widgets. I'm not selling computers. I'm selling a service. And that service is my legal skills. And I don't know how to do it at all. And so I keep opening up a business 
and my business keeps going broke. And so I have to go work for someone else. And then I realize that I hate people and I hate working for other people. And I'm not really good at listening to other people because um, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And so I keep quitting to go open my own law firm and it's not working out. And so sometimes you have to realize what your weaknesses are. And I was getting frustrated because I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. I was a really good lawyer. It's a really, really good trial lawyer. And I couldn't understand why that wasn't enough for me to make this a successful business. So I took a step back. And I went to go work for another attorney one more time. And during that time, Tequila, George Strait, Jeremy's mom, baby on the way. Um, I had a son. And like I told you last time, I felt like I was cornered. I felt like I wasn't going to make it in the job that I was at that I wasn't going to be able to be the father that I wanted to be in the job that I was at. And so I left. And the only thing I had with me when I left, other than $50 in my bank account, was the belief that I had to succeed this time because now I was a father and I had a son who was going to be depending on me. I wasn't any smarter. I wasn't any better at marketing. I wasn't anything more than a dad who felt like he had to make it. And I think that happens for a lot of parents. I think when you're on your own, it's okay to bounce around, right? We feel like, okay, we failed, whatever, no big deal. I can start again. But as soon as you become that parent, as soon as you become that mom or that dad, suddenly you can't fail anymore. Suddenly it's we have to make it, whatever that means, However that means. We have no choice but to succeed. Failure may be an option. But it's never going to be our reality. That's just what it becomes for you. And for me, that was very much the situation. I lost my chances to fail. I lost my chances to just say, oh, well, I lost everything. I can start from the bottom again. That wasn't an option anymore. So I had to figure out what I was doing wrong. And what I was doing wrong is I was being lazy and I was being stupid. See, we know when we're good at things and we know when we're not good at things. I'm good at criminal defense. I'm good at trials. I'm good at cross-examinations. I'm good at open. I'm good at those things. I am not good at getting better or at being a person. I'm not good at getting better at being a business. I'm not good at those things. So I need to work on those things. And so that's what I started doing. I knew that I was weak at knowing how to run a business. So I went looking for ways to market. I went looking for ways that would teach me how to manage. I went looking for ways at just knowing how to do the things that I didn't even know I needed to do. And I found this program. It was called PILMA, uh, Personal Injury Lawyers Marketing and Management Association. You're like, wait, wait, Jesse, you're a criminal defense lawyer. Why would you go to this program called PILMA, which clearly says personal injury lawyers? And my thinking was this. Everyone in San Antonio who is doing criminal defense is doing it the same way, aren't they? Like everyone's marketing the same way. And you know who doesn't market the same as criminal defense lawyers? Personal injury lawyers. Those dudes have it on lock. Like they are money. Like I literally mentioned all their names, right? We know their names. We know the names of personal injury lawyers without ever having hired one. We don't know the names of criminal defense lawyers. We don't know the names of family law lawyers. It's rare that we would know those names. But PI lawyers, man, we could name 20 of them. I still remember my favorite slogan. Winning isn't luck. It's knowing how to fight. Right. That is still I remember that driving through San Antonio, seeing that, seeing it on commercials when I was a kid. That's one of the best slogans ever. Frank Adetta. Right. P.I. attorney. These folks have been mastering marketing and running law firms since before I was alive. 
So I thought, hey, Jesse, let's think outside the box. Let's go join this, this Pilma group. And I did that. And it was one of the greatest things I've ever done because I learned so much about marketing. I learned so much about running a law firm. I learned so much about putting in the work. I didn't even know what my goals were for this law firm. And if you don't have goals, how can you ever achieve them? Right? I, I, if you're watching this and you take nothing else from this, write that down. If you don't have goals, how can you ever achieve them? And that's how bad I was at businesses. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think like, what, what's a good number of cases to get in? How many cases can I handle? How much should I be charging for a case? You know how I marketed when I opened my law firm? I went to every client that I had taken to the previous firm, every client, and I said, you've already paid your fees to this law firm. I'm leaving the law firm. They're keeping your money. But if you want to come with me, I will handle your case for free. Because you came to this law firm for me. You gave them the money, but you wanted me. So if your faith in me is what brought you here, then I will reward that faith. And I will take your case for free. No additional fee. You don't have to pay me anything. The money stays at this firm, but your case can come with me and I will continue to represent you. Those were the only clients I had when I started were the ones I was representing for free. I had this great idea. I wanted people to know that I could try and win DWI cases. So I put on Facebook, if you have a DWI case in San Antonio and you come to me, I will try your case for free. It's a horrible idea, but we got someone to take us up on that. We got them a not guilty, but that's the only level of marketing I was doing and doing stuff for free is great in the sense that people get to see your commitment. People get to see that you are a person to be trusted, that you will stand by it when you say, I have committed to defending you on this case. Uh, but it's not so great if you have a child that you need to support and you know, they, they like food. Babies are weird like that. They really like food um, and diapers. I mean, whatever. You want to sit in your own poop, that's on you, bro. But yeah, they really like those two things. So um, this was not a winning strategy. But I went to Pilma, I learned. And I said, I like this Pilma group so much that I'm going to find other groups like this. And I did. Over the years, I've been in lots of mastermind groups. I've been in lots of different types of email listservs. I've had different one-on-one -on -one coaches. Currently, I think I'm still in Pilma. I'm in NAML, which is the National Association of Motorcycle Injury Lawyers. Uh, I'm in CRISP. I'm in CEO Lawyer Academy. Um, we've been in CEO Lawyer um, Personal Injury Bootcamp. Um, we do continuing education all the time. And we do continuing education on two fronts. One, on actual criminal defense and personal injury cases, how to get better at handling those, how to get better at winning those. But I also do them on how to be a better leader, how to be a better law firm owner, how to be a better manager, how to be a better steward of my community. I said steward, but it's really steward. We should, you know, whatever. I could be a steward too. Just call me Stu. Um, but I, I think one thing that people underestimate is they think that you get good and then it's okay to stop. You can't ever do that. You can't ever do that. You have to keep getting better. If you are the best person in a criminal defense practice, you know what your obligation is? To push the boundary and get even better. If you're the best person at heart surgeries, you don't just say, hey, I'm the best. That's all there is. You find ways to get better. If you're the best mechanic out there, you find ways to be more efficient, to make more money, to get more business, you constantly have to push the envelope to get better. Because if you are not getting better, then my belief is you're getting worse. If you're not learning new techniques, if you're not learning new technologies, then you're forgetting old techniques and you're forgetting old technologies and you're falling behind. 
this may sound silly to some of y'all. I firmly believe that no matter what you have or don't have, there's somebody out there behind you that wants it all. Somebody wants your life. Somebody wants your business. Somebody wants your wife. Somebody wants your kids. And they're coming for you. And if you're not figuring out a way to get better, to get smarter, to get stronger, you are going to lose everything. I know it sounds silly. How do you lose a wife? You lose a wife because you think, I'm already a great husband. What more does she need? She needs a better husband. She needs someone who's going to keep loving her, who's going to keep dating her. I'm already a great father. What more do my kids need? They need a better father. They need a more understanding father. They need a father who's going to go the extra mile to give them a great life and to make them great people. I'm already the best person at my job. Get better. Because there's someone else who's coming up who's going to be 10 times whatever you are. It's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth for every job, for every situation in life. So if you're not getting better, that tells me that you're willing to lose everything. You have to commit to being the best at what you do. Otherwise, why are you doing it? When I talk to new young attorneys, I tell them, if this isn't what you want to do, please don't do it here. I don't want someone, when I'm looking for an attorney to work with me, I don't want someone who sees this as a nine to five paycheck. Lawyers who think of things like work-life balance, cool, you can exist, but you will never be the greatest at what you do. And you sure as hell have no right doing things where people's lives are on the line. As a criminal defense lawyer, work-life balance isn't and shouldn't be a reality. Your clients' lives are on the line. When things happen on Saturday or Sunday, they catch a warrant, they're going into jail. Saying, oh, it's Saturday, don't call me, is bush league and immature. If your client's going to jail, you don't call them back on Monday. You try and figure out what you can do for them right now. You don't call the mother of someone and say, oh, well, hey, it's uh, 6 o'clock on Friday. Um, I'm off the clock, but call me Monday morning. We'll figure out what's going on with your son or daughter. And, uh, you know, hey, just have a good weekend. All right, bye. You can't do that. If you're doing a contract for a business, sure. By all means, I'll call you on Monday. There's nothing going on this weekend. But you know what's open Monday through Monday, 24 hours a day? The jails, they're open. So if you represent people who could potentially go to jail, you need to be available 24 hours a day. Or you need to have someone available during those hours that you can't be. And if that's not the life for you, then hey, this isn't the life for you. Right? If you can't be available 24 hours, if you can't say, hey, I have a trial on Monday, I probably shouldn't go golfing with the boys this weekend. I should probably put in some work this weekend, even though, I mean, it's, it's Saturday and it's Sunday. If you're in litigation and you deal with trials, you don't stop at 5 o'clock because your competition isn't stopping at 5 o'clock. You may stop at 5 I'm working till 4 a.m. I'll tell you the last murder trial I had. We closed around 4 p.m. Well, the state closed at 4. And that was it. The judge says, okay, come back tomorrow morning. We're going to do closing statements. Um, I go from 4. Let's see. Hold on. We're going to have to delete that part. The last murder trial I was in, this is what happened. The state ended their evidence, 4 p.m. The judge says, okay, that's it for the day. Come back. We'll go over jury instructions in the morning, and then we're going to do closing arguments. Great. 4 p.m., I leave the courthouse. I stop. I pick something up to eat. I go back to my office. 
I am in my office working, working from 5 p.m. when I get there all the way until 6 a.m., at which point I go home, I shower, I change, get ready for court, and I go straight to court. We go through the jury instructions. We go to closing arguments. A couple of hours later, we're walking our client out of the courthouse with a not guilty. If I said, hey, it's 4 o'clock, day's over, I'm going to go home, I'll deal with this tomorrow, work-life balance, I need to go see my son, um, I don't think our client walks out the next day. I don't think he does. And every day that we're in trial is kind of like that. It might not be leaving at 6 in the morning, but you're working. You're working till midnight, till 1, till 2, and then you're going home, catching some rest, getting ready for the next day. Work-life balance is not something that we deal with in criminal defense. And if that's your priority, then it tells me your priority isn't your client. It tells me that getting better, being the best, and winning for your client isn't a priority. And it's cool if you want that for you. That's nice. But I don't want that at my law firm. I want people who are willing to put in the work. I want people who are sending me text messages saying, hey, Jesse, I just saw this seminar in Dallas. Can I go? Hey, Jesse, someone's having a trial and they need someone to sit second chair. Can I go? I want people who are constantly trying to get better. I want people who feel like they're the best, but know that there's a new level. I want Kobe's. I want that Mamba. I want that Black Mamba energy in my office. And if you're not willing to do those things, I don't think you should be doing criminal defense. And I don't think you should be doing it with me. But if you feel differently, by all means, enjoy sending your clients to prison, right? I don't like doing that. So we're not going to try that. Um, so we start doing this marketing. And I realized through marketing that the best way to build a name is to try and capture a niche. Um, you know, I can't be the best at all criminal defense in San Antonio. I can't be the best at criminal defense in the entire state of Texas. There's too many other options. There's too many variability, variabilities between the types of criminal defense. So I say, you know what? I'm really good at DWIs. And so I came up with this idea. Like back then there was um, the DWI dude, Jamie. Um, there was the DWI dog. And I'm like, my name's Jesse. I do DWIs. DWI Jesse. And so I decided that instead of trying to capture the entire criminal defense market, I was going to focus on handling DWIs. And so we started the DWI Jesse brand. And we put it on everything. We put it on golf balls. We put it on pens. We put it on koozies. We put it on t-shirts. We had it everywhere that we could possibly go. We started thinking, like, where do drunk people go? Like bars, right? Like people drink at bars. So let's go to bars. And so that's really where that whole going to bars every single night started. Um, I would be there because when you're at a bar, and you go to the same bar every time, you know what you start to do? You start to become a regular. And when you're a regular, you start to form relationships with waiters, waitresses, bartenders, managers, owners, and other regulars that come there. And just in the course of being a human, having a decent time, you know, hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm Jesse, I, I'm a DWI attorney. What, okay, that's cool. Nice. I hope I never need you. Ha ha ha. Let's do a shot. Um, you know, and you start to form these relationships, but you know what happens when someone comes into that bar and they're like, man, we haven't seen you in a while. Uh, Joseph, why are you, where are you been? Oh man, I got a DWI. I've been laying low cause you know, it sucks. Oh, Hey, this guy over here, he's a DWI attorney. So if you ever need one, uh, you should talk to him. He's a really cool guy. He likes to buy people shots. So, you know, go have a shot. Um, and sure enough, like, you know, we all know that if you're in trouble and, and you're a Catholic, you're going to go confess to the priest and you talk to them. Um, if you're a drunk or an alcoholic or just like a normal person in their 20s through 30s, um, 
you really tell most of your problems to your bartender or your waiter or your waitress um, because, you know, you have a relationship with them and they care about you and you care about them. And, you know, they're not just your bartender. They're your friend. Uh, they're on your social media. Y'all hang out. Y'all fish. Y'all do all sorts of cool stuff together. And so it, it became pretty obvious that if I was fishing for people who had alcohol-related um, crimes, why not fish in the pond that people like that tend to go to? And by people like that, I mean everyone, right? That's the thing about a DWI is you don't have to be a criminal to get a DWI. Anybody can get a DWI. Law-abiding citizens get them all the time. People who have never had a run-in with the law get them. Sometimes they're justified. Sometimes they're not justified. Anybody can get a DWI. You don't even always have to have the smell of alcohol on you. But if you go to this place where people who drink congregate, it increases the likelihood that you may pick up someone who ends up with a DWI. So that's kind of what inspired that marketing idea. And we take the DWI Jesse brand and we take it into bars. And we don't just take it into random bars. We take it into bars where people know us. Because one of the things that I learned through these programs from Ken Hardison, who runs Pilma, is people hire lawyers that they know, like, and trust. That's it. Right? That's, that goes back to that original concept that I didn't even understand. How are people going to hire you if they don't know who you are? They're only going to hire someone that they know that they like, and that they trust. So how do I get people to know me, to like me, and to trust me? I let them meet me. Because I think I'm likable. I know I'm trustworthy. And, I mean, kind of chunky, so I stand out, so I'm knowable. Um, so I take this concept of being a lawyer that people know, like, and trust, I don't have money for billboards. I don't have money for TV. I don't have money to compete against anyone on that level. But I can sit in a bar stool and I can buy shots and I can be a decent tipper and I can be a, just a nice human so that other humans, you know, befriend me and talk to me and want to help me like I want to help them. Um, and before you know it, you know, being a regular in this place, you've become a member of a community. And just like everyone sends all the cars that need repairs to the bar's mechanic and everyone sends, you know, all the print work to the person that works at Kinko's over here in the bar. Well, if there's legal work, they refer them to me because I'm the one they know and they know that I'm a nice guy. They know that I take what I do very seriously and they trust that if they refer someone to me, I'm going to take care of them. See, because going to the bar isn't inauthentic. It's not fake. It's me going to have a good time and letting people meet me. And so we would start doing events at the bar that I would go to because they had great owners, they had great managers, um, and they were genuine in wanting to help me grow as well because that's just how they were. And so we start doing events there. We start growing this brand. Um, and it it starts to work. We start to get business because we have built a brand that people now know, like, and trust. In fact, I, I'm going to share this secret with you. Why do I do a podcast? Because I want to meet celebrities. I want to meet influencers. No, the real reason that we do this is because I want the people out there watching to know this is who Jesse Hernandez is. Yeah, the Texas Chancla, it's a, it's a thing. Yeah, DWI Jesse was a thing. But this is Jesse Hernandez. I would trust him with my daughter's case if her life was on the line. I would trust them with my husband or my wife or with my case because this dude loves what he does and he's serious about trying to make an impact. That's why I do this because I want you to know that this is who Jesse Hernandez is. This is the type of lawyer that we can have. And there you go. Because again, I'm not competing with Thomas J. Henry on those airwaves. Uh-uh. He spends more in a month than I probably make in a year uh, on commercials. And, you know, that's good for him because I hear they do amazing work. Um, 
But, you know, Thomas J. Henry, um, Jim Adler, whatever lawyers are out there that do good work, they can't handle all the cases. I mean, I know they want to, but they can't handle all of them. And they're not the right firm for everybody. So I want people to know that there's an alternative, and it's us. But we took that branding, and we became DWI Jesse, and we ran with that. Quite literally, if you remember the last video, we ran from that with, with the cameras. Um, and I did something that year that I had never done. And after I got arrested and after that video was out there and after every time you searched for me, um, that video came up or news of my arrest came up, I shut everything down. It was the absolute worst thing to do. And when I say shut everything, I got rid of my Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, I got rid of everything. We quit running ads on Google um, because the only way my ads were going to come up is if you Googled me. And if you Googled me, you were going to run into those videos. Um, so I shut everything down and we literally dropped like 70% in gross revenue um, for the months that we, we did not advertise. It nearly broke the firm. Um, I had one attorney, maybe two attorneys working for me at the time. I had an office of five people and it almost got to a point where I had to lay everyone off. Um, and so during that period of time, the DWI Jesse brand kind of died because we stopped pushing it. Like I told you, I stopped going out, right? Um, I wasn't even going to the bar anymore. And that's how I had originally been getting all of my cases. Um, and so it was difficult. It was very, very tough. And we lost that name. Eventually, I think I even lost the website. So if you go online and you type in dwijesse.com, don't do it because now I think it's something very not suitable for work. Um, very not suitable for work. So yeah, we don't even have that brand anymore, but we lost it. And I was just Jesse again. Um, and I had to basically start all over with what we were going to be about, how we were going to build and how we were going to brand. And I didn't even have the ability to go to those bars because I wasn't drinking. And I will share something with you that's not related to law, but it's related to quitting alcohol. I had a lot of trouble. I told you guys, like I was, I was doing 15 to 25 shots a night, five to seven nights a week. It's not easy to go from that and being out all night, every night to being at home. It's a huge change. And I struggled with it at first. Um, and during my, my intensive outpatient treatment, they would say, you know, when you're in this, you can't be going to bars. You can't be going to those places that you would drink. And for me, that was everywhere. If I go to a concert at Floors, I'm drinking. If I go to a Spurs game, I'm drinking. Like that was the life I was living is I was drinking everywhere. So literally I could not go anywhere because I can't go anywhere where I would be triggered by alcohol. Um, and then I discovered something and it's called real friends. That's a crazy concept because there's friends, but there's real friends. Um, I told you I spent all of my nights basically in bars trying to market, trying to build my firm, but also drinking and having a good time. I'm not going to act like it was all work. It wasn't. Um, but during that time, I made genuine connections with bartenders, with waitresses, with managers, um, people who didn't just see me as a customer, as a tip. They saw me as a real person. Uh, most of them knew about my son. Most of them knew about my life. Most of them knew me fairly well. And I will tell you, the biggest allies I had in staying sober were the bartenders and waiters and waitresses uh, that I knew. And it's insane to, it's insane to know that. Um, I would go to a bar and one of the bartenders, Ben, uh, would not let me drink. He would not let me drink. Uh, he understood what I was trying to do. And there would be days when I would go into that bar and um, he'd know I was sober. And I'd be like, oh, man, I'm really thinking of a shot. He's like, no. He's like, I'll give you a shot of water. I'll give you a Coke. Um, 
but he was one of my biggest allies because what I realized very shortly is that if I was going to stay away from places that had alcohol, I was going to go crazy. I was going to have no social life. I was going to to feel like I was dead and it was going to be impossible to stay sober. So I had this crazy idea. Why don't I go to all the places I would normally go and I just don't drink? And so I started doing that. I would still go to those same bars. I would still go to those same clubs, but I wouldn't drink. And for the first couple of weeks, you know, the waitresses, the bartenders would come to me and they say, hey, what can I get you? I'd be like, oh, I'm not drinking. Okay, cool. But it finally got to a point where everybody knew I wasn't drinking and everybody was supporting it. I mean, these are folks who make their business off of selling drinks, getting tips off of drinks. And here they are, my biggest allies in helping me not drink. Right? That That's more than... And these were bartenders or waiters and waitresses. These are friends. These are people who genuinely cared about my well-being. I don't know why they should give a crap about me, but they did. And there were times when I would be somewhere and a waitress would come over and she'd say, hey, uh, that guy is, you know, he wants to buy you a shot. He says he knows you. And I would wave. I'd see the person. And I'd say, it's okay. I already told Ben. Ben's going to make you one of your shots. And my shots would basically just be juice. You know, so I had a point where people were ordering me shots and you know how it is when you're drunk, like, no, I want to buy Jesse a shot. I want to buy Jesse a shot. So they just say, yeah. And they'd bring me one of my shots, which were just juice, soda, whatever. Um, and they had my back the entire time that I was sober. I remember going in one time and it had been a bad day. It was shortly after my mother had passed. And during that time I was still sober and I wanted to drink so bad. And the bartender literally told me that I could have a drink if I could whoop his ass in a fight. And I wasn't about to fight him because it's a pretty tough dude. But genuinely, I walk in with money saying, I want a drink. And this guy says, no, you're not drinking. You're not drinking today. Not for this reason. Because he knew I wouldn't really want that. And he knew my mom wouldn't really want that. And so to me, that was something that was absolutely amazing. Um, is finding out who your real friends are and who just cares about you because you may be able to, to make their life better with, with a tip or something. Uh, people who would care about you. Uh, that was something amazing that I learned. Um, and again, has nothing to do with law or any of this, but um, that was something that still means the world to me. And I still know all of those folks and I still thank the world of all of them um, because people who will help you save yourself from you are genuinely the best kind of people out there. Uh, so Ben, thank you so much. You were a huge, huge part in me staying so sober for um, two, two and a half years. Uh, I, owe, I owe you so much. Um, but moving on. So we dropped the DWI Jesse and we became Jesse again and we rebuilt what we were and who we were about. And it was tough. It was really tough. And I had this friend... Uh, she was a client on a personal injury accident. And one day she messages me and she's like, hey, you know that Jim Adler guy, the Texas Hammer? I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I think I've heard of him. I might have seen a commercial once. She said, well, uh, I'm not really afraid of a hammer. And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess. Clearly you've never hit your thumb like I have um, or your dad's thumb when, you know, he was holding the nail for you. That's even scarier. Uh, but she says, you know, I, I've never been afraid of that. You know what scares me to death, though, Jesse? I said, what? She said, my mom's chancla. She said, that is the scariest thing I could ever think of. She says, you should call yourself the Texas chancla. And it'd be like Jim Adler, but it'd be better because people would get it and it would actually mean something. And I thought, I was like, that's hilarious. I floated it around the office. I floated it around my friends. And people are like, you're going to be a joke. That's just a joke. That's, no one's going to take that serious. And I was like, you guys are right. You're absolutely right. Uh, so that night, I bought the TexasChunkla.com. Um, well, not the TexasChunkla, but I bought TexasChunkla.com. But I never used it because I'm like, this is stupid. People are going to think I'm a joke. And that was a big mistake I made is giving a damn what other people think. Um, in business and life, you cannot afford to care what other people think when it's your dream. Because the funny thing about dreams 
is only one person sees it, and that's the person who's asleep. That's the person who's dreaming. It's your dream. Nobody else sees it. You can describe it. You can spell it out for them. You can tell it what it smelled like, what it felt like, what it tasted like. But nobody sees it but you. So when you're talking about your dreams and people are shitting on them and they're telling you that's not going to work, that's not a good idea, don't ever listen to them. It's not their dream. It's your dream. And the Texas Chunkla became my dream because I started to notice that, you know, there's a lot of tools out there, right? There's the, there's the hammer. There are the law guns. There's the DWI dog, the DWI dude. Um, there's all sorts of stuff that we're supposed to be scared of. And none of those scare me, man. Like, what are the law guns going to do? Shoot me? Pow, pow. That's the law. You're dead. Like, you know, the hammer, what's he going to do? Like, nothing. Um, but the chancla still scares me. It scares me. And I started thinking about it. And, you know, when the insurance company comes for you, give them the chancla. Let them know, like, hey, we're not screwing around on this side either. Uh, and it started taking me to my childhood because there were, I don't know if y'all know this, I have a smart mouth and I talk a lot. And uh, there were a lot of chanclas. There were a lot of belts. Um, so it was between those two, the Texas belt or the Texas chancla. And the Texas chancla resonated the most with me. And we ran with it. We decided to do it last year uh, when I found another dreamer, when I found Joseph, uh, who's one that if you've seen the video, you know he chases his own dreams. And so he was very supportive in helping me chase this dream. Um, and yeah, we know it's playful, but the message is there. We're going to fight for you. And whether we're smacking the crap out of the state of Texas with this chunkla or smacking an insurance company because they've given you a crappy offer, we're going to use the chunkla to protect you. Um, and it's funny and it's cute, but I promise you the legal services we provide are neither funny nor cute. They are quite serious. We represent people in every type of case, and we've won every type of case that we've ever had. We haven't won every case that we've had. That'd be a lie. But we've won every type of case. We've never gotten a guilty at a murder trial, but we've gotten several not guilties. We've never had a defendant found guilty at a DWI trial, but we've had quite a few not guilties. On aggravated sexual assaults and sexual assaults, we're a little better than 50-50 on not guilties. There are tough cases out there, but we will fight those cases, right? It's what we do. It's who we are. It's who we were always made to be. And so I've been Jesse Hernandez. I've been DWI Jesse. But now I'm proud that I'm the Texas Chunkla. It's not the name of our law firm. That's still the law office of Jesse Hernandez. But I'm the Texas Chunkla. I'm attorney Jesse Hernandez. And I thank you for watching this episode. I hope that it lets you know a little better who I am, what I'm about, and what that means for my firm and what it means for you. Uh, if you like what you saw, give us a thumbs up, subscribe. Please review us on all the platforms. Uh, if you have comments, questions, leave them down below. We'll try and get to them. Uh, if there's anything you want to see us talk about, anyone you want to see us talk to, drop it down below and we'll try and get to it. Uh, but thank you so much for kicking it with the Texas Chunkla. I'm the Texas Chunkla, attorney Jesse Hernandez, and thank you for listening to my story.